Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. DC Comics recently introduced a line of graphic novels starring superheroes. These books are aimed at middle-grade readers, kids between the ages of 8 and 12. The goal is to get them reading books, not just short comics. And to that end, DC Comics has recruited some high-profile authors. Two of them are Ridley Pearson and Meg Cabot, and both will be visiting the St. Louis County Library this evening to meet young readers. Ridley Pearson is the best-selling author of the Kingdom Keepers series, and Peter and the Star Catchers. He's also a former St. Louis resident. Ridley Pearson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. And Meg Cabot is the best-selling author of The Princess Diaries. Her first-ever graphic novel is Black Canary Ignite. Meg Cabot, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Now, for those of you listening, if you're a graphic novel reader, what which is your favorite? What do you like about this medium? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Ridley Pearson, first, it's painful to describe you as a former St. Louis resident. <laughs> it's painful You've for me to be a, described yeah, that way. You have a star on the St. Louis Walk <laughs> of Fame. And I know, unlike some of the people we try to claim as residents, you lived here a long time. I did. I lived here almost 20 years. Almost yeah. 20 years. Yeah, I yeah. miss it. I miss it every day. So what made yeah. you leave? Well, we had uh, we had moved here really with the purpose of, of educating our kids here because it's just the best city in the world to be a family. Yeah. And um, we had always kept a house out west in the Rocky Mountains. And when push came to shove, that's where we decided to go rest our bones. So okay. So this is a pretty recent development? Yes, it is. Yes. So and what you- whenever I come back, I, I just I, I ache because I just love it here so much. I heard your promo earlier for the symphony, and we were always subscribers to the symphony. I thought, you know, I would be going there this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah it's fun. On the other hand, you picked a day to come back that a might remind you. A very St. Louis day, I might yes. add. Yes. <laughs> and yes, unfortunately it, for you, you did not fly in yesterday when we had the perfect weather. Exactly. You're, you get yeah. the worst of it. But it's at least reminiscent of home. So, I, rem- you know, five, eight years ago, there was that storm that put about three-eighths of an inch of solid ice on every road. I mean, you, you could have literally skated on them. And I thought, well, this is, you know, building up to be one of those. <laughs> well, at least we don't home have a day home. quite that bad at this point. <laughs> um, and I hope it's not going to affect this event you guys are doing at the library tonight. I know there's a lot of young readers who are excited about the fact that put you guys are Put on your here. snowshoes and come see us. <laughs> <laughs> now, Meg Cavett, you have a, um, you've written many, many books. What got you interested in this project in particular? Well, I was always a comic book reader and a lover of um, graphic novels. So when I heard that they were doing this project, I wanted to get in right away. And I was really excited that they accepted my proposal on Black Canary, a character that I really love. And um, I've just been really glad to be along for this ride. Now, Black Canary, I will admit, I had not been familiar with this character <laughs> at all until reading your book. I understand, though, there is some history here. What? Wh- yeah. Who is Black Canary? She's one of the oldest characters um, at, at DC Comics. She's almost 75 years old. She's almost as old as Superman, actually. But wow. in this book, she's only 12 or 13. So she's. Uh, this is about the young Black Canary. But yeah, she started um, around 1947 going out and fighting the bad guys. She's a vigilante 
vigilante. She only has one superpower, and it's her voice. And it's kind of amazing. As the character in the novel herself says, like, this superpower is not cool enough. (laughs) And yet you show her really learning to inhabit this superpower and realize how cool it is. Well, I think as a kid, you would want a superpower maybe. And and this is what she says. She wishes that she could fly or have superhuman strength, but her only superpower is that her voice can destroy things and knock over bad guys and break glass, of course. But as a little kid, when you're learning about the superpower and you don't really know how to control it, that could be detrimental, especially in middle school. Yeah, you seem to have some fun sort of exploring how this could manifest itself in ways that for a young girl are just a nightmare. And I could actually really relate because when I was in middle school, I was actually told by my school principal that I was the loudest girl in school. So the minute I heard about Black Canary, I was like, yep, she's the one I want to write about. How did you find her in the archives or how did this... I actually, okay, this is really maybe controversial, but I went to Wikipedia. Did you? <laughs> I just oh, looked no. up every single And just looked at all their characters? And, well, female, specifically okay, female okay. characters. And I found Black Canary, you know, and of oh, course it, it was alphabetical. So I found her pretty quickly. <laughs> so pretty early. <laughs> and and, and Wikipedia said, was right for once? This wasn't yes, misinformation? Well, I didn't just use that as my yes. research, but I started looking more into her. And the more I found out, the more I thought, this is great. But of course, it's, it's a little bit, and I'm sure that you had the same thing, Ridley. You know, this character... Um, she's an adult. In, in, well, Super Sun's the one you write about. They're, they're, they're younger. Yeah, yeah, Black Canary's an adult, and she's very sexy. <laughs> portrayed very sexy. And so we had to um, we had to kind of tone it down a bit for my book. She's, um, she, she's a kid. It's age appropriate. So it's more age appropriate. And we were also very worried about how, you know, if kids really like this book, maybe they might want to dress up like her for Halloween or just for cosplay. And so we had to change her outfit a little bit because okay. it it's a very, very sexy outfit. It's kind of a retro thing, I yeah, guess, that, that the women have to be sexy. She does traditionally <laughs> wear, even in the 1940s, she wore fishnet stockings and a very, very, um, you know, low-cut leotard and, and a leather jacket. And so that was all. <laughs> so oh, we wow. thought that maybe is not going to fly with some some parents who might see their, their kids dressing up. So we, we added some bicycle shorts and some cutoffs. She has more of a punk rock kind she of. Does. She does. She looks cool. Yeah. Like very punk. yeah. She's yeah. in a band yeah. and she's very punk rock, but she still fights crime and uh, gets out there and uses that voice for good. So that's Meg Cabot's Black Canary. Ridley Pearson, tell us about your super sons. Well, I, I grew up with Super Son, with uh, Superman and, and Batman, although more the TV versions. I wasn't, my, my brother was a big comic person, but I was, wasn't so much. And when DC came, uh, because in the Kingdom Keepers, it's a bunch of kids learning to work as a team. They came to me and said, we'd, we'd like you to do this because you can handle double protagonists. Hmm. And, and would you do it? And, and I said, well, you know, I would love to do it, but I really don't know much about your world. Um, and I've never written a graphic novel. And I don't think Meg had either. No, I had no idea. So we, you know, I said, I'm sort of, I don't, if, if you say no, I'm all right with that. And they said, oh, no, that's perfect. And so <laughs> off we Knowing went. Knowing nothing. That's yeah, perfect. exactly. <laughs> so how much research did you end up doing into this world? Well, less about the characters because they really wanted to reboot. DC has a history of rebooting all these characters. Like, I think... Batman has died two or three times. <laughs> Superman's died at least twice. And then they sort of show up and, and they said, that's our history. So we can start all over with these. And it's great that you don't know that much. And when you're really way off track, we'll just stop you and say, no, 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 it's got to be a little this way. So all through the process, I've, I've written three of these. This is the second. And, 
and my editor's constantly saying, you know, we really can't push it that direction, pull it back more this way. And these guys and, and women at DC are so entrenched in that world, they know everything about it. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that would be true with Black Canary because it did go back so far. Did did you have anybody who was sort of the expert on Black Canary? Um, yeah, there's been so many different versions of Black Canary, oh, okay. and um, I kind of just stuck to the. I, well, I don't want to give any spoilers, but right, I, right. I did kind of stick to the original. But you know, we did. They did make us take classes. Yes, we really. Took we had to go to class. Graphic take a- writing classes at DC. Doesn't really? matter if we're both number one New York Times <laughs> yeah. bestsellers. It's time to go back to school. <laughs> did you yeah. chafe at that? Like I know how to write. <laughs> no, I, I, was, right. I was a little bit um, at first. I was a little bit like really. Yeah. But they were fascinating, yeah, yeah. and we, I mean Stanley, uh, not Stanley. Um, sorry, that's the wrong. That's the wrong. Um, wrong universe. Right. We had some of the greatest uh, creators yeah, at yeah, DC yeah. were teaching these classes on Jim how Lee. to. Jim Lee, that's right. It was Jim Lee. Um, Stan's younger brother. No, yes, that's no, not no, true. totally <laughs> untrue. That would be no, such a great Jim, story. Jim, it? <laughs> so you could take them online, or if you happen to be in New York, you could actually go to the classes. So we, so I went, and I know Ridley took them I online, was online. Yeah. and um, I mean everybody was there, and you got to hear from the great comic book writers of all time. And it's What's very that? different. I mean, we had both written scripts. Yeah. Um, most of our careers, yeah, and these are script form, which makes them really interesting, I think, to writers because scripts are really fun. So you're writing but, it almost like a, a play script, yeah, where, or a film script, yeah. okay. except that the s- descriptions, which are usually frowned on in TV and film, are monstrous in these things because it turns out that's how you communicate to your illustrator what that one little panel on one page is going to look like. And it might be a page of description of, you know, she's hanging her head, her hair is falling into her face, she looks disappointed, her mother's standing over her with cross. The whole thing has to be kind of spelled out. Hmm. Uh, And then there are other places, as you learn to trust your illustrator, I would would say action scene for two pages, John fighting, blah, blah, blah. And and just let the illustrator go because they they're can run so with much it from better. There. Yeah, they're so wow. much better than we are at doing this. Yeah. As it turns out, you know. Now, Meg Cabot, I feel like one interesting wrinkle is in reading up on you. I read that at one point you wanted to be an illustrator. Yeah, were you at all tempted I to d- say? I actually was an art major in college. Yeah, and I really. Um, felt for a long time that I could do this until I started doing this with a real professional (laughs) artist and I realized very quickly there is no way I could do this. There, it just takes so much talent and dedication, and I think Ridley it will agree with me. And time. That, yeah, and time. Ooh. These artists are just so professional and just so meticulous, and the the way they interpret the the scenes that we've written for them to draw, there is no way I could have done that. So I quickly learned that. I mean, I'm very good at drawing maybe somebody a little birthday card. Sure. (laughs) But there is no way that I could do this. And I'm so glad that I am on the other side just telling them what to draw and letting them interpret it and making really just these beautiful scenes that I, you know, turned out, I think, so much better than what I actually told them it Hmm. should look like. And it just quickly put me in my place. I mean, one of the great thrills as a novelist, we've both written a lot of novels, is that you get that cover at some point and graphic novel. And there's a thrill. There's just this, wow, that's, you know, there are all these ideas of my book and the cover and all. And with this, you, you know, you submit these words and a month or so later, these five pages come back 
and everything has sprung to life in a way yeah. you can't even imagine. And it's so exhilarating. You just go, wow, look at that, you know? And and this starts getting into a pattern. Every few weeks, you get one of these in your inbox. Oh, that's and you're just exciting. jumping around going, oh, look at the scene on the, you know. It's, it's, now, do you have the ability to push back on it at all? If they sure. send you some pages yeah. and it's, this is not how I envisioned this, they're Absolutely. receptive to yeah, that? Yeah, it's collaborative. Um, and then you learn you're an idiot. And, of course, the way they did it was perfectly right. I had written a scene, not a scene, but a panel where we met a character going into a fortune-telling, you know, shop. But I had it from the back. And when I saw it, I realized that was stupid. We want to see her from her face. Mm. So let's do, look through the window reversed. And the artist quickly sends it back. And it's ten times better. So I yeah. uh, I had a character... Uh, Dinah is the name of the is the name of Black Canary, and she's a little girl, and she really wants to be a police officer. And so she has her dad is actually a police detective in Gotham City, the most dangerous city of of all. And I, I loved his little police detective mustache. So that was one yeah. of the best parts yeah. of working on this was that my artist Cara McGee draws this character of of Dinah's dad, and when I when those sketches first started coming in, I was laughing so hard because she did such a great job of drawing this like very you know, down-to-earth, hardcore cop with this, who was the father of this little girl. And every time I would get those sketches, i just start laughing. Because, no, I didn't tell her to do that. That's just how she did it. It's she funny, totally I had the, the same on. reaction. She got that character. You know, it, she just did such a great job. And so it was a delight every week or so to get these drawings from her because I just couldn't stop laughing because it was just hilarious to me. Having been in a bunch of bands, I liked all her bandmates. Yes, I thought well, those are true also in bandmates, band. right Yeah, there. she did a great punk rock yeah, uh, cheerleader. Did. There's a punk rock cheerleader that she did so Cara was just a joy to work with so these books they are um, very fun reading but at the same time you're also dealing with some serious issues Meg in your book um, I felt like the relationship with the mom was was so front and center and I really appreciated that you focused on that rather than say boys was that intentional (laughs) yeah it was very unusual for one of my books Um, (laughs) which usually the romance is really stressed no you know there aren't that many if you think about um, superhero books you really don't get that much mother-daughter relationship in very many. So I really wanted to have that. And that is actually the traditional Black Canary story that she has inherited. Now, there is a show on CW right now called Arrow where you have the Black Canary. Um, and it's a little bit of a different, uh, it's a little different origin story than the traditional Black Canary story. But she does inherit her powers from her mother in the original Black Canary story. And I think now with like everybody going on to ancestry and finding out about their DNA, I thought that's actually so prescient in a way for 1947 that this young girl yeah, it feels very modern yeah it actually does now um so she gets her this talent from her mother who is keeping it hidden all these years not to give it any spoilers um and and so yeah i thought it was really sweet to have her mother be such a big part of the story and ridley speaking of serious issues i mean you do deal with the father-son dynamic but even beyond that you're taking on it's clear this is about global warming it is yeah it's set in a, you know I, you want a world build and so i set it in a world maybe 50 years ahead, 30 years ahead, where people have been moved out of Metropolis or Gotham, a.k.a. New York City, and, and they're moving to sort of a Chicago area. And that that feeling that kids deal with when they do move to a new city, and they're, they, I don't know if you call it bullying, but they're certainly teased and razzed in ways of like, you know, we don't want you here. And um, so trying to bring in those themes. And the father, the father thing was fun to explore because 
Batman is not a superhero. He's just really rich. <laughs> and so his son is not a superhero. He's just really rich. And, and that makes him a bit of a jerk, you know, yeah. and, and very confident in ways he, he doesn't need to be because he hasn't earned it. And he wants to be his father's Robin desperately wants to be Robin. And of course, no father wants their kid in violence. So it's like, fine that you want that, but you're never going to get that. So he's trying to prove himself to his dad. And all he has is money and gadgets and stuff to do it. And he runs into this guy, John, who's kind of the opposite in that he's the son of Lois Lane and Superman. So he's smart like Lois Lane and Superman, but he's never going to be Superman. He's sort of half of Superman. And he worries that his dad won't regard him as a real man, you know, a real kid, if he can't fly and bend steel, and he can't do any of that. Um, He can jump long distances. He can hear pretty well, better than others. And so he's frustrated that he may never live up to his dad's expectations. So this is really relatable, even though we're dealing with superheroes. It really gets at sort of both of these books, get at the core of the parent-child dynamic. And when you're eight years old, maybe that's that's pretty central in your life. We both do tons of readings and stuff at schools and talk to kids and... And and I've even taught a little bit in middle schools. And, you know, they're, unlike when we grew up, I feel like these kids grew up much faster. And they hit these issues head on. And anything we can do in the books to sort of help those transitions or, well, maybe I'm not that weird. Everybody's feeling, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's better for all. And I think we talk a lot about how um, becoming a superhero is a lot, in many ways, kind of a like being an adolescent because you're mm. changing and you're going through a lot of struggles. Well, so are these superheroes because they're finding out they have these powers and they're trying to figure out what their place is in the world. And I think that when you're becoming a teenager, that's exactly what your life is like. You're struggling with your parents, you're struggling with your friends, and you're also trying to figure out who you are and, and why you're here. And so are all our superheroes, it turns out. So am I, by the way. <laughs> we, all, we all are going through that. Now, how Even do you though balance, we're not teenagers. Though, as you say, kids are growing up so quick these days and they're dealing with these issues at a very young age. And yet, Speaking as a parent, sometimes we prefer to think our kids aren't yet at that place. How, right. how do you balance the kids' need for things to be real with parents going, my kid's not ready to read about that yet? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, I, I strongly believe that kids know exactly what they're ready for. And they'll, and if they aren't ready for it, they'll put it down. Mm-hmm. So Or they won't see it. I th- I yeah, think, it'll go you right know, over their head. I never – I think neither of us we, – we don't try to beat anybody over the head with a rubber mallet. It's just – it's in there if the child wants to see it. If it isn't, they stay with the action. Oh, they're going after these people. How exciting. But if, you know, if they read it a second or a third time, they might go, huh – I, I felt that before. But so the secret is maybe kind of keeping it subtle. The, oh, the, I those think who very much. Oh, if you, if you, you know, kid readers are so, young readers are so smart. And they, the other thing they do is that you, when, when I write my adult suspense, you write your adult mm-hmm. suspense, an adult reads it once. The kids read these things eight times. Yeah. You know, even my huge Kingdom Keepers books, they read them five and six times. And it's you've got to be very careful writing to that audience because they read every word multiple times. They might not pick up on some, yeah. some discrepancies in a yeah, way an exactly. adult reader won't. Um, well, so tonight you guys are both going to be at the St. Louis County Library. That's at 1640 South Lindbergh Boulevard. That's beginning at 6.30 p.m. tonight. And you'll be meeting with young readers there yes. and, and showing off these novels. Yeah. Um, so Ridley Pearson, thank you so much for joining us oh, today. My pleasure. Thanks for having us on. And Meg Hammett, thank you for coming by. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.